Today's sponsor is Stamps.com. Avoid trips to the post office. Use Stamps.com to buy and print official U.S. postage right from your computer. Go to Stamps.com today to sign up and for a special offer, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in decode. Today is also sponsored by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the person who didn't ask questions at the CNBC GOP debate, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about Silicon Valley's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. Today in the Red Chair, we're talking to Aaron Levy, co-founder and CEO of Box. I've known Aaron for a while, but he's actually been at this for 10 plus years. He started the company out of college, and it is a, what would you call it now? What are you calling it now, Aaron? Uh, we are a, um, we're an enterprise software company. That, enterprise software company. That helps businesses manage and share and secure all their data in the cloud. Excellent. So we are going to be talking about a range of things today, but he is one of Silicon Valley's youngest CEOs, correct? And also one of its funniest. Uh, well, there's many people younger uh, than me at this point. So at this point, I'm so sort of old. like the older, wiser CEO now. Yeah. Um, at, How uh, old at are you? Thirty. Thirty. Oh so, wow. Yeah, That's I'm, aged. I'm, I'm way older than uh, than a lot of these kids. But um, what would you have asked the GOP uh, debate oh, panelists? I think I would have asked them not about fantasy football for sure. Okay. Uh, I think I would have had my my information there when they challenged prepared. me. I would yeah. have been a little better prepared. I yeah. mean, that's a tough that's a tough and difficult situation to be in. But you know, they they definitely took over the debate and they enjoy themselves bashing the media. Yeah, I always think that's just a kind of a ridiculous ploy to bash the media to take away the attention from the real issues. But. Sure. Like most of their campaign tactics right now. Yes, exactly. But they were given the opportunity, so they took it, and I don't blame them for that. So there you have it. Yep. I don't think it was very illuminating for anybody. I don't think all. any of the debates have been. Really? Yeah. Some have been interesting. I guess illuminating in how bad each individual is. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's true. That's a fair point. So, so you're not go- voting for anybody. Uh, well, uh, I'm I'm uh, uh, partial to Hillary right now, but right. Um, uh, but uh, certainly the rest of the crowd is uh, is, is pretty d- uh, disappointing. Yeah, I'm voting for Larry Sanders. Okay. As, uh, Larry. Um, don't know how that's possible. Larry but, as, yeah. uh, as as Bernie Sanders. Excuse okay. me, Larry Sanders. I'm calling him Larry Sanders. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's talk about uh, where Box is right now. Yeah, sure. So you uh, you've been at this for ten and a half years. You did the school from yep. your dorm room. Is that correct? Or? Yeah, we right. were our uh, we were sophomores in college, and um, and it was just like as simple as this sounds. It was just way too hard to share files. So mm-hmm. um, in uh, what were I, you trying to share? Term papers, what? Different, you know, different kind of files. So sometimes illegal music and sometimes um, business documents. Right. So I had an internship at um, at Paramount Pictures, mm-hmm. and they were using some legacy software to to help you uh, share corporate you know data, and that was really painful to use. And then in in um, in the college environment, you were sharing you know college papers, or you wanted to share music with friends, and mm-hmm. all of that was way too complicated. And so we, we looked at the space. It was, it was late 2004, and, um, and it just seemed so obvious that in three, five, ten years from now, everybody would have all of their data on the Internet that they would be able to access from anywhere, and it would be secure, and it would be easy to use, um, and yet nobody was, was building a product to solve that problem. So it was kind of like staring at And you got right. money from Mark Cuban, correct? Well, that, that came later. We had, yeah. um, I had about $3,000 to my name. Um, mm-hmm. My co-founder, um, he, had, uh, he was really, really good at online poker. And mm-hmm. so he actually uh, – he – uh, gave us our first sort of thirteen, fourteen thousand um, uh, dollars that he had won uh, with uh, with online poker, and that was the initial funding right. for the company. So, talk a little bit about what it was like to start a company. There's a lot of we have a lot of entrepreneurs listening. Yeah. Um, what were some of the? And then we'll get into the issue of where you are now as a yeah. company. Strategic You've things. Strategery. Yes. We'll talk about strategery yes. uh, and some other topics. But what? T- talk about sort of the things you think about now when you look back on ten years. Yeah, so you know, I think um, uh, it was interesting. So I actually just last night had some. Uh, I had dinner with um, uh, a handful of the Teal Fellows. Mm-hmm. So these are nineteen, twenty, twenty-one year old, um, uh, you know, kids that they have, forego college. They forego college. One even uh, uh, decided to drop out of high school. So, yes, there's I mean, a lot of that they're, going. They're on. getting them very young yeah. now. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so and they get a hundred thousand dollars a year. Is that right? I don't know the latest, but Something there's some like inflation that. probably thing that yeah. uh, inflation adjusted. It's probably a hundred thousand. So right, I was had dinner with one of them last night. Oh, you did? Like, they're everywhere. Oh wow, they're like, no, they really are. There's they're like kudzu. 
they are they're kind of you know kind of spreading around. Right. And uh, how was your dinner? It was very nice. Okay. Was, he looked like he was twelve, but yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine were um, yeah, maybe like looked a little bit a couple years older, but yeah. um, the uh, so so um, the thing that that we were actually talking about that I I kind of um, we went, went back on to our original strategy was we were it was in two thousand four mm-hmm. and um, and if you think about all of the things that were happening in two thousand four on the internet. Basically, nothing was happening, right. and so not a lot of innovation, not a lot of change. But but you started to see um, uh, Firefox was starting to emerge. Mm-hmm. So you started to see, oh wow, like like that's pretty cool. Browsers are getting faster, and you started to see internet speeds were starting to improve. Obviously, a lot mm-hmm. of infrastructure built out from the dot com era um, that was finally starting to be deployed in a meaningful way, and, and people were getting faster internet. Um, you had uh, I had a, one of the the blue early kind of Blackberries at the mm-hmm. time, and so you you said had some inkling that that um, mobile would that, that mobile was kind of cool like like we can finally get access to email and, and text and, and information on our device Aaron so, I had a, a suitcase phone in the 90s so I was way ahead of you on this one yes so yeah. you you had the early vision for and, cloud and no friends but and anyway, no friends but, yeah well so I had that going for me so the um, so basically um, so you had mobile devices starting to emerge you had better faster browsers better faster internet and we looked at that and then you also had a um, uh, you know the power of Moore's law, which everything mm-hmm. just got cheaper over time. And we said, if all of these trends continue, if you are more mobile, if internet is faster, if the browser is is more performant and and storage and computing gets cheaper, then you're not going to have your data fixed to one device. You're going to be able to go anywhere and get access to all your information. And so, so the. Um, the, the thing that we realized was we, we ended up basically writing a thesis for what, like, the future was going to look like because of these technology trends. And all we really had to do was build a technology that was in support of and benefiting from all of those trends mm-hmm. in, in the space of, of accessing and sharing files and, 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 uh, and your content. And, um, and it, was, it was almost that simple. It was we were recognizing a set of trends that, that nobody else was, and we decided to build a better, simpler product to, uh, to essentially capitalize why on. The, why the business arena? Because most people were doing the Facebook thing. Well, right? so we did a pivot. So we started right. out in kind of consumer and small business. Okay. We, we, we got uh, funding from Mark Cuban, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then we dropped out of college uh, about a year, a year into the business. We dropped out the middle of our junior year. We, we moved to Berkeley. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we lived out of a renovated garage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was actually illegal, um, the, the, the actual housing situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, four of us were just living in a garage, and we basically built up Box out of a, out of a garage and um, as soon as we got real venture capital, and real venture capital back then was like a million and a half dollars, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, today that would have been like a, a forty million dollar Series A, but mm-hmm. but you know times were different, and uh, and so we raised a million and a half dollars, and we decided we had to have a business model, and we couldn't sort of keep balancing this balancing act going of consumer versus business. And so we sort of – we looked at all of our options in, in front of us. We could go in consumer space, which we thought was going to get very commoditized by Apple, Microsoft, Google, Google all of those guys. Right. We looked at Dropbox the, did. Dropbox um, actually came after uh, yeah. even our pivot and, uh, right. and then ultimately did the consumer approach. And then we looked at the enterprise space and we said, wait a second – Tens of billions of dollars are spent every single year in um, in legacy uh, file storage infrastructure from EMC or NetApp, um, in servers and and content management software, and then all the system integration that you needed to to put all this stuff together. So every single year, you know, call it thirty, forty, fifty billion dollars are spent mm-hmm. on this on just enterprises managing their data and managing mm-hmm. their content. And we said, in one space, it's going to be free, infinitely. For, for consumers and the other space, businesses are going to spend tens of billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So, like, it wasn't that hard of a decision. To, right. That we Although had. everybody was moving that way. I mean, the consumer side. Yeah, the consumer side. Yeah. Oh, oh, we were incredibly uncool when we right. made the decision. It was right. um, two of us were 22 at the time, uh, two of us were 21. We had a couple mm-hmm. other employees, and um, and it was like the least cool thing possible to, to go mm-hmm. do was, was build for an enterprise. For enterprise. Um, but, you know, purely for survival and, and for being able to build a business that was going to, you know, last more than a couple of years, we knew we had to make the decision. But Google, they hadn't gotten into that space yet. Remember, they had this, um, they, they had been rumoring about G Drive. Right. Exactly. And it was called Platypus mm-hmm. and Lighthouse. Right. There were multiple names. And um, it was very, you know, kind of typical FUD of, mm-hmm. of the big company. They had done like a Wall Street Journal interview or something. And this was 2006. And, and again, you know, we're a few people. And say, have, sometime we're going to build this. Yes. Basically, like, we, we believe that, that, you know, consumers should have all of their data stored online. And we were four people in a garage, you know, competing against the, this mm-hmm. rumored Google product. So it was not, not something you wanted to sign up for. Um, right. And so, 
uh, versus, uh, uh, you know, conversely, when we looked at the enterprise market, we were moving faster than the enterprise incumbents. We were building a more disruptive technology because it was in the cloud as opposed to in right. on-premises environments. It was cheaper. So you had, you had better economics. Uh, and so it just became pretty obvious that we should become an so enterprise company. So those guys company. actually did then move into your space? Who? Uh, all the Googles and stuff. Into the enterprise space yeah. or the consumer space? Both. Yeah, well, well, I would say Google moved into the SMB space. They're not mm-hmm. really used in large enterprises. Right. And the consumer space, 100%. So all of our theories were right on the consumer side. Right. Google has hundreds of millions of users. Microsoft has hundreds of millions of users in the consumer space. And there's not really going to be economics in consumer online storage mm-hmm. you know, ever in the future. Mm-hmm. Google wants to sell you more advertising or, or operating systems with Android. Microsoft wants to keep you within the Windows ecosystem. Apple wants to keep you in the iOS ecosystem. So, so storage for consumers is going to be free and infinite forever. Mm-hmm. And in the enterprise, though, it's not so much the price point that you're worried about. What you're worried about is security. You're worried about compliance. You're worried about scalability. You're worried... Mm-hmm. You're worried about a very different set of things than what we as consumers are worried about when we think about online storage. Which is why you're, one of your main competitors, Dropbox, is moving into your space. Which so is, quickly. you know, I think, I, you know, based on the need to have a, a, a more durable business model, mm-hmm. selling to businesses is a much better, do that, much better way to do that. For us, we made that decision nine years ago. So right. we have a little bit of a head start um, in, uh, in going after enterprises. So how does it feel when a competitor is doing this? A well-known competitor, well-funded, uh, they're private, so they have certain abilities to do things that you can't. Yes, um, there's better obfuscation yes. of things. Um, so, uh, so we we are. I mean, we we obviously got to do that for for ten years. So, um, uh, we are uh, the, the the benefit of the benefit of our our position is um, for the past you know eight or nine years we've been singularly focused on building an enterprise platform. So. General Electric, Eli Lilly, Coca-Cola, the Department of Justice, um, Amgen, Allergan, you know, some of the world's largest mm-hmm. enterprises with the uh, highest security needs in the most regulated of industries um, use Box as their corporate standard for managing their data and managing their content. We're in 52% of the Fortune 500. So all of these years where we've been building up our technology and our sales and marketing and our go-to-market has benefited us because we now have a platform that's very differentiated. And, so we got there first. We got there first. But but the important thing is, is not that's not like a symbolically important. It's mm-hmm. actually important because customers have now deployed our technology and are standardizing on it. So mm-hmm. um, so uh, in in the enterprise space, getting there first matters a lot if you did it the right way, at least. Right. Um, and uh, and we're just fortunate that that we have you know tremendous momentum um, in the enterprise market because of that. So let's talk about where that's going when yeah. we get back from my. Station more identification, advertising. more advertising. More yes, more okay. stamps. No, not stamps oh. right now. I think I'm going to be talking right now about uh, books. Oh, I like the stamp guys. Oh, you like the stamp guys? Yeah. All right. Well, we'll go for the books and then the we'll books. do the stamp okay. guys. If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Not me on that one, but audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries audiobooks in every genre imaginable, business, classics, history, and self-development, just to name a few. I don't know what I'm going to listen to next, but Aaron, you were giving me a tip. Yeah, so I actually recently um, was listening to Made to Sick on uh, on Audible. Um, I usually don't do audiobooks just because I'm, I'm usually re- – uh, my commute is like like seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but uh, I was listening to Made to Sick recently. It was good. The narrator was, was had a great accent. And it's about what? Um, it's basically about – You like an accent? That's how the book sells to you? Yeah, I look uh, like a good accent All right. in my, uh, and what's it in my about? narrator. Um, so uh, it is basically about why some kind of information sticks in our brain uh, and versus other information. And how do you basically make sure that, that when you're conveying, you know, uh, data or information that, that it's actually sticky? All right. So how's I forget that for- everything. I try to forget everything. Anyway, Audible's <laughs> offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial mm. membership. Just go to audible.com slash decode and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash decode. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. We're here with. That's a great deal. Thank you, thank yeah. you very much. You signed up for it. Yeah, that's a very right, good then. deal. Well, we're here. That this is Aaron uh, Levy talking here uh, about. He's the CEO and one of the founders of Box, uh, which is an enterprise storage platform. All kinds of t- safety in the cloud storing. So, talk about where the where it's going next, because you know everyone does talk about the cloud yep. where it's going. All the co- big companies are in this area. There's a spate of old companies that have been helping corporations do it. But then yep. there's companies like yours and yep. Slack and some others, you know, changing the way we do business. Yeah. So do you, I'm going to take you back on a little bit of history. Okay. So do you remember the 90s? 
Yes, I remember the 90s. I was really old. You okay. were what, born? I was, um, uh, we, I was using the internet, okay. so I was, uh, I was on there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we, uh, so in the 90s, mm-hmm. you had companies like Dell and Oracle and Cisco and EMC and Microsoft. They were basically like the foundational companies of the 90s right. for, for the internet and importantly for enterprises right. modernizing their IT mm-hmm. strategies, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. So, so in the '90s, you had this big wave, which was basically every business in the world, every meaningful business in the world, General Electric and Coca-Cola and all these all these organizations, um, uh, invested massively in their infrastructure and their technology to be able to deliver modern IT to their enterprises. And that modern IT at that time was basically like email, like operating systems. Um, you know your ERP system, mm-hmm. um, you know basic CRM systems, and that was that was largely what we could accomplish in the '90s and early 2000s. Fast forward to 2015, if everything's in the cloud and it's way more trivial to deploy applications and deliver uh, services to your enterprise, that means you have access to everything. You can do so many different things now mm-hmm. uh, with, with technology, idea. and that's the whole that's the whole idea. So I can use Slack for communication. I can use Office 365 for email. I can use Salesforce for CRM. I can use Workday for human relationships um, uh, management. I can use uh, resource management. I can use um, uh, Box for content management. I have all of these applications now now at my disposal. And uh, and it's producing amazing innovation for, for organizations and enterprises. The next stage, right, now it's, it's kind of it's, – it started to happen a couple years ago, but I think it's going to be more important for the next maybe five to ten years is we're going to start to see not just who the application leaders are mm-hmm. in this era of IT. So not just the – you using CRM or Slack. Or, 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 or Slack. We're going to start to see who the platform leaders are. Okay. And what I mean by that is that – Is there a platform leader now? Well, there are platforms that are emerging. So Amazon Web Services is mm-hmm. more and more clearly becoming the platform leader for you know, raw computing in the cloud. Force.com, Salesforce's you know, mm-hmm. platform, is more and more becoming a standard for developing um, customer-related uh, applications. And for us, we want to be the standard for any time you're developing an application for collaborating or sharing information in your enterprise and outside your enterprise. So, so we see the next sort of five or ten years for our company as making sure that we establish Box as a platform, not just an application. Do you just declare it? You do declare it, but then you have to, you have to mean it. So what does so, that mean? Well, so what it means is so for basically eight or nine years, all of the technology we've been building, every single line of code that mm-hmm. we write, um, we expose through an API and through mm-hmm. a developer interface that, that our customers and our partners can build on top of. So just as Amazon Web Services in 2006 basically said, hey, we have all this infrastructure, we're going to let the world rent it mm-hmm. with Amazon Web Services, um, that we're kind of doing the same thing. And, and this just actually literally happened a month ago. We announced right. this at our conference, which is all of the technology we've been building for 10 years are now going to open up so customers who are going to be building completely different applications than what we've created can build that on top of our platform. And developers and partners... And then and they can share them, presumably? They can, they can share them, but, they, but more importantly, they're going to use those applications to change their business. So mm-hmm. imagine you're a bank, and, mm-hmm. and you know, we, we happen to be actually at a bank event um, a couple of months ago, and you're a bank that wants to go digital. Mm-hmm. And that means that you want to rely less on your physical retail stores, and you want to be doing more online uh, transactions with your mm-hmm. clients. You're going to build those applications on a different set of technologies than you would have 15 years ago. You're not going to build them on, on, on the same legacy you know, technology stack. You're going to build it on a much more modern set of platforms. And so you're going to probably build that on Amazon. You're probably going to build, you know, hook in Salesforce into that. And we want to make sure that Box is one of those underlying platforms that you're building on top of. So who do you face as a competitor in that? Because, the, you know, the two, one is obviously you mentioned initially security. Mm-hmm. That's a big issue for everybody. Yeah, so so um, so if you think about the attributes of the platforms that enterprises are going to choose, they're going to be completely different attributes. They're not going to be um, they're not going to just be needing pure infrastructure. They're going to need um, software that, mm-hmm. that they can write applications on top of. That's going to be secure. It's going to be um, it's going to be able to work for the regulatory issues that they face. So if you're mm-hmm. in healthcare, you need to have HIPAA compliance. If you're mm-hmm. in financial services, you need FINRA compliance. And so they want to build on top of technologies that are going to make sure that they stay secure and that they're able to work within you know, their regulatory environment. And so that's all of the work that we've been doing for 10 years for our main application. Mm-hmm. And now for the first time, we're opening that up so anybody else can build so that. Where does that take you as a company? Yeah, in, into a very different direction, um, or at least a more expansive direction, because we're still going to be doing what we, we, we have been doing for eight or nine years. I mean, you, you might, and, and many people think about us as the way that you just share files right. and, inside that's of a corporate exactly environment. How I think exactly. And we're going to try and change that, because while we want you as an end user, or as an individual to use Box like that, 
We also want to be behind the scenes. So when you go to your doctor, the way that you get access to your medical documents and your medical image, Box is going to be powering that. When you go to your insurance company, Box is going to be powering how you're doing your transaction if you're sharing content back and forth with your insurance company. So every digital experience that you that you have with an institution or an enterprise, we want to be the back-end platform to power that. What um, when that when in that scenario, where does where does what has changed in the enterprise space? Because sort of enterprise is kind of cool now, right? I mean, I think you're still uncool, Aaron. But Thank you. Me, uh, me personally or the category? The whole thing. Okay, got it. Both. But it's, it's, okay. you know, it's really gotten to a bigger spot in terms of people's minds, the shift in the enterprise space. Can you talk to that? Yes. Yeah, I mean, we clearly haven't made it to like Snapchat level of, no, of coolness. You're but not, you're not, are you dating a supermodel right now? I am, um, I, I am dating, um, I think, someone who's extremely attractive, yeah. but um, uh, the... Uh, um, her profession is not supermodel. Okay, all right. Yes. Okay, fantastic. Um, so, uh, so we um, <laughs> what we do at uh, uh, the, the the this category in this space, I think, is going to be um, is is uh, uh, is basically rapidly becoming um, you know incredibly interesting in terms of the amount of innovation you're going to see um, and uh, and what what kinds of of companies are able to go and, and build for this world. I mean. Two or three years ago, the, it would be pretty unfathomable to think of the founder of Flickr, who mm-hmm. basically created modern photo sharing, mm-hmm. building an enterprise application, right. Slack. Right. So, Which is a mistake. Uh, for what? Well, he started as a game company. Yeah. Oh, oh, a yeah. mistake that, that yes. turned he into Slack. He pivoted, too. 100%. Like yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I'm not saying that everybody's going to want to start out building an enterprise software company, but many times they're actually going to end up building, you know, amazing enterprise, you know, uh, technology. So whether it's Slack, whether it's what, you know, the guys at Zenefits are doing where you've got, you know, David Sachs and Parker Conrad doing some very interesting innovation, Josh James at Domo, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, there's a whole new era and crop of companies that are emerging now mm-hmm. that are building transformational enterprise software companies that are, are going to just change how businesses work. So, so we absolutely are going through a bit of a renaissance within the enterprise sector. Um, and uh, and it, is you know, it, is I don't it know the to other be con- more like consumer things, or what? What do you think? Is well, that, that from it, you could call Slack Facebook for business, really. Except you no threading. You could, or mm-hmm. or um, I think it, what it what it is is the it, user experiences are going to become more consumer like. One of the reasons we all hated enterprise software ten years ago was that literally it was impossible to use the technology and so it was horrible. Mm-hmm. You, you just hated using enterprise software. That will change and that has already begun changing. So you're going to see easier user experiences. There's if you like your job or you like your work, then having technology that enables you to do that work better and faster and, and more collaboratively with others is only a good thing. And mm-hmm. that's previously that technology actually slowed you down and so thus you hated that technology and the companies that built that technology. Mm-hmm. If in the future that technology speeds you up and gives you a more enjoyable work experience and makes you more productive, then I think, you know, we enterprise software won't be as ridiculous of a mm-hmm. of a of a category. But we are finally starting to see this innovation. Um, it's starting to kind of creep into our everyday lives and uh, and that's why you see so much um, you know so much investment going into enterprise, so many startups coming into the enterprise, and ultimately why the enterprises themselves are going to completely transform. So let's talk. Where do you think it's it's going right now? What would be the workplace of the future? And then we're going to take another break. And yeah. So so this is a. It's actually that's a really good question. So there's kind of two major things happening for your average enterprise. Let's say east of Fremont. So mm-hmm. so the non-tech world. Mm-hmm. On one hand the way that they work internally inside their organizations is changing. So if you think about, again, 10 or 15 years ago, it was hard to share data with people. Mm -hmm. It was hard to communicate in real time with people. Everything was through email. Everything was sort of asynchronous and slow. You you didn't really know what was going on in your organization. Everything was very hierarchical. So it was hard to, to, you couldn't share with, with people that were two or three layers above you because that was just not how your company operated. And so if you fast forward to today, most companies are, are realizing that's not the right way to run a business. You want people to always have access to the right information. You want them to be able to collaborate you know, on demand on any device. You want them to be able to work from anywhere, no matter where they are. So whether that's a train or from home or from a different country. Um, all of those things are, are what's changing right now inside of enterprises mm-hmm. because of the cloud, because of mobility, because of these you know, uh, the, the new kind of software that's emerging. And, and what that just means, I think, in, in, um, uh, as, a, as a consequence is uh, businesses are going to uh, move faster. People are going to have less friction in their jobs. Mm-hmm. They're going to be able to make decisions more quickly. Um, you're I going. Think they'll to, be working all the time. They'll. They'll. They. That will. That will probably result in, in working more. But hopefully, hopefully, that results also in in more you know fair organizations where you get to see who's actually doing the good work versus who's not. You have mm-hmm. way more exposure, way more transparency, way more visibility into what's happening inside of your organization. No, that's bad news for me. Got it. Well. Um, 
Are you doing a sponsor no, break right ahead. now? No, because go ahead. that was only one half of the all change. Right. All right, quickly. So, so that's inside the company, and right. then outside the company is is also going to change. What that means is that every way that you interact with your customer mm-hmm. and your ultimate consumer of your product is going to change as well. If you're a GE or you're a Honeywell or you're an Eli Lilly, mm-hmm. you can't just transform the inside of your business. You actually have to change how you are working with your clients. Sure. And that's the other half of where technology is going to have a massive impact. Absolutely. And with more information, presumably, at your fingertips. Exactly. Right. But first, a word from our sponsor. Sometimes getting something mailed or shipped easily feels almost impossible, especially in the middle of a busy day. Going to the post office takes up a lot of time, and leasing a postage meter is expensive. Well, the good news is that anything you can do at the post office, you can do right from your desk with Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any package or letter using your own computer or printer, and even get a special postage discount you can't find at the post office. With Stamps.com, you can save at least 50% compared to a meter, and you'll avoid trips to the post office. Right now, sign in with Stamps.com. Use the promo code DECODE for this special offer. A four-week trial plus $110 bonus offer includes postage and a digital scale. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in DECODE. It's that simple. Go to Stamps.com and use the promo code DECODE to get started today. Go do that, Aaron, immediately. You need to mail some yeah, stuff. Yeah, I will, I will but do no, that. No, but you're trying to stop mailing. No, no, no. I'm pro stamps.com. But right. um, isn't it amazing the things that, that you are possible on the internet now? Not going to the post office is, is I think, the this greatest is, thing the internet's ever doing. done. Um, so let's talk about your public offering. It's been yes. a, a rocky ride for you. It's, it's been, um, we like to call it volatile. But we like to call it, well, that's a nice way of saying a rocky ride. But uh, tell me what it's been to be like. Why do you feel good about going public? Because you almost went public, then you didn't go public, then you yeah. did go public. Yeah, so well, last year was a very complicated situation. We basically right. filed to go public in a time period when um, there was a bit of a correction in our in our kind of sector um, right. specifically. And so we, we paused and then we, we maybe took a little bit too long to ultimately, you know, go out just because we were we were debating when we mm-hmm. wanted to do it. And so anyway, we, we decided that, that we would do it at the start of this year. We went out in January. Um, we are incredibly happy that we're, we're public. It's, it's um, you know, we were private for 10 years. Mm-hmm. We had raised obviously a significant amount of venture capital. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had built a business that was operationally ready, that was strategically ready, and had the right predictability from a revenue standpoint to finally be a public company. And so we're, we're absolutely glad that, you know, we are now past that point. Sometimes wish you were private still. You know, there are some. There are absolutely benefits of, of being private. You know, being able to just communicate with with ten investors mm-hmm. that that are on your you know on your board and and you know very and close like to the you. company and um, and are you know, and we are we are very friendly um, is easier from a mechanical standpoint than communicating with tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of investors. Mm-hmm. And so it's absolutely a different kind of world, um, but. But that's you know beyond that the and there's a little bit of a longer term thinking that that your mm-hmm. that your internal investors have just because because it tends to be more patient capital. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, it's not that different, and there are absolute benefits to being public. It's, Such as well, when we are selling to large enterprise uh, enterprises, they care a lot about the robustness and the health of our of our company and make sure that we have a long term durable business. Mm-hmm. Being public and having the transparency on our financials and what we're doing as a business helps that you know pretty tremendously. Certainly, there are some confusing things happening in the private sector right now, which is kind of nice to be finally sort of you know we've kind of matriculated from mm-hmm. you know from that, uh, that. Any any big mistakes you made as a CEO so far that you'd like to correct? Um, well, I. I uh, Fortunately, I tend to think I make more lots of small things that I'm mm-hmm. constantly optimizing and, and improving on, but um, uh, but nothing like existential or, or sort of fundamental as much right. as as you know you as a CEO you always want to move more quickly. You always like you kind of know where you want to be, you know, from a strategy standpoint, and um, and the best CEOs are able to get everything else out of the way to make sure you get there in the fastest possible time frame. Mm-hmm. And I am you know, absolutely still honing my ability to do that and make sure that you stay as focused as possible on exactly the, the, the goal line um, and, uh, and you're getting there as quickly as possible. Let's talk about the bigger Silicon Valley picture, the sure. tech picture. How do you, you're, you're a very funny tweeter. You. Uh, you're, you're, how do you think of those things? How, how come you're so funny? Oh. Yeah. Uh, um, why, why do you do that? Um, is, is is it a problem? No, it's not. Oh, I okay. love it. Um, I'm so, just sure what got you doing it? Because you're you know you've got Mark Andreessen on one side of his his own stylings, yes, which, which are 
sort of angry man late at night kind of thing. He does tweet uh, late at night with yeah. and and during the day in multiple yeah. type ah. times. Ah, yeah. um, so uh, so I um, I mean it's I don't tweet too frequently anymore. Just a lot of things going on, but um, you know this industry has a lot of funny things that happen in it and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know when when something comes into my head around uh, uh, around what a company's doing um, that is you know utterly ridiculous or even cool, mm-hmm. um, I uh, I like to share those thoughts. What is your favorite one that you've done? My favorite tweet that I've uh-huh. ever done. Yeah. That's a that's a weird question. That's like saying you know what's your who's your oh, favorite I child? Have, oh really? Yeah, I have like two thousand children. So yes, I yes. Don't, so you uh, like do you like doing it? Do you feel like you can't do it as much as a public company CEO? No, I I mean the only literally this is where people kind of you know get get things confused. The only thing you really can't do as a public CEO is you can't ha- share forward looking right. non public information. Right. So so you can mock as many people as you like. Yeah, that's not in, no, SEC has not you know considered the ramifications of you making fun of other things going on in the world. Right. Right. And uh, and so there's have really you had a good there. One, I don't know if I've seen one. Well, so I, I haven't. I've, I've stayed out of the Theranos issue. Why is that? The, the reason is, is that because um, it would seem right in your ballpark. Well, th- I appreciate that, um, and um, and, I, and I, maybe five or six years ago I would have. But the thing that I've realized is that um, there's always sort of an asymmetry of information around you know what what companies are doing you mm-hmm. know inside and, and obviously what people know outside. And I don't have enough visibility into the situation where oh, I feel comfortable. Kind, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't I don't have enough information to feel comfortable you know making any you know light of the situation. And um, and so I'm kind of watching as a bystander just to is see. Is there any companies you think deserve more Aaron Levy tweeting? Um, the, uh, uh, probably, but, uh, I won't, I won't, uh, share which ones. All right. So. Okay. So talk about Silicon Valley in general, the whole scene. How do you look at it now? Is it, is it, uh, bubblicious to you or not? Or, well, so. Because the public-private sectors get different treatment now. It, it does. Well, what, what's happening, and, and this is, and, and it's, it's cool because we've been able to be on both sides in a very recent time frame, right? right? So, so what, what's actually happened is, um, is the, we we do we have a we have a misalignment between public and private. Mostly, uh, the misalignment is on the private side. Right. Um, and the and and the uh, the reason that was created is because of liquidation preferences and um, and the the structure of rounds where where it's where investors are investing in in, in deals where um, we kind of think of that as a valuation, but it's not exactly a valuation. And what that is is a price point you know, at which the investor loses no money, right. and above that point, they, the investor makes money. And so we, we kind of loosely call that a valuation, and that's why we think it's a bubble is because we, we consider that to be a, a valuation, and they're getting higher and higher. But I think um, now being on the other side is those aren't so much valuations as much as sort of agreed upon, you know. To suggestions. Well, not even just their agreements at which point the dollars convert into equity in which point it mm-hmm. basically is just protected, mm-hmm. you know, investment. And, uh, and I don't think that produces a bubble as much as, you know, potentially down the road, a liquidity challenge. Because mm-hmm. what you have is... I like all your words. Yes. Liquidity challenge. Yes, this that is... That means people go broke. So, yeah. <laughs> the, um, uh, <laughs> for the regular people among them. Uh, the, the, well, well the, uh, you don't have to go broke. What, but what, what can Everybody happen... Everybody grab for the dollars or uh, something what, like that. What can happen is, is that... Um, is that you do run into constraints where you've you've priced your valuation very high mm-hmm. and and you you have a limited set of options of who will pay or who will in liquidate the the, the, either public markets or even M and A who will or even another round of funding who sure. will pay for that uh, and that's the challenge. So so what we don't know is that it's a bubble in the sense of there's not going to be like a mass correction because this the market doesn't it's not interconnected enough to to have it be like a, a mass correction like it would be if it were a public mm-hmm. market. Um, but what you will run into is some companies that have done very high valuations that can't necessarily. Um, uh, Sell, you know, grow into that valuation are going to have a more limited set of options than maybe what they would have if they had a smaller valuation and something that was more pragmatic at that at What's time. What's that pressure like to have the higher valuation? Because it's, it's very dude-like. I'm bigger than your valuation. Um, well, without getting into the, is that a gender-oriented thing? Yes, it is. Okay, got it. So um, the, uh, I think I think everybody has an ego, and right. uh, and and sort of ego transcends, uh, you know, that. Um, but uh, I think it's. Um, uh, the benefit, so there's an ego benefit for sure. There's mm-hmm. another benefit, which is that you're literally raising more money at a lower dilution. And mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, anything you can do to have more capital and and pay less for that capital, i.e., your equity, is is as an from an entrepreneur standpoint, is a good thing. Now, there's always a middle. There's always a balance, which means again, you have to calculate the risk of of that that long term pressure because of of how you raised. But the um, 
it's again, you know, the, the the challenge with 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 this environment is you actually have many many companies in the kind of quote unquote unicorn category mm-hmm. that are absolutely deserving of their valuation because they're growing at, at such an extreme rate. Mm-hmm. Where in a year or two or three or five years from now, that will look like a very conservative valuation. Mm-hmm. The challenge is because we've seen what that success looks like. You have more capital going into companies that potentially aren't going to have right. that success because right. we're being a little bit less. Um, we're not being as judicious around how we're deciding which. And they do have all this money. And they. they do. And, and and there's a lot of there's just a lot of capital because companies, it can also keep companies that don't deserve to be alive alive a lot longer. Yeah, so so you have that artificial you know that artificial challenge and and sometimes that can be bad for an entrepreneur because because constraints in your from a capital standpoint force you to make, make better decisions. business model decisions. Right. Um, you know we so uh, just to give you a sense of the, the world that we grew up in right we mm-hmm. raised our uh, what how much money do you think we raised in our seed I uh, forgot our first seed round I don't know how much dollars. What? $10,000. Oh, okay, fine. Well, that, that ruins my joke. Okay, um, right. It was $80,000. That was our seed round. We sold yeah. a quarter of the company for wow. $80,000. Wow. For, fortunately, later on, we were able to buy it back, so, mm-hmm. so it wasn't that dilutive. But, you know, in those days, when you have $80,000 that, that you're going to run out of, you make very, you know, you make very, um, uh, 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 you know, healthy decisions yep, yep, for your absolutely. company because that's a, that's a that's ticking time bomb. When you raise, you know, $10 million in your seed round, you just have too much of a you have too much time you have too much luxury yep. to change too many things and you don't it doesn't force you to think fast enough or hard enough around you know those those That's hard a decisions very fair point last question yes. did you ever think of selling there were all those rumors there was one moment mm-hmm. in time where where we got close enough that i that 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 um uh, that i would say that we thought about it and mm-hmm. um uh, and we thought about it for a very long time. It was a process that we took, um, you know, two or three months to kind of really kind of work through and rack our brains on. And what we ultimately uh, ultimately determined was that where we were as a business, um, we we knew that that all of the factors that that we had uh, contemplated around computing and where computing was going and and the power of this this transformation and shift to the cloud, um, we were so early in that journey that there is going to be 10, 50, 100x upside mm-hmm. in, in what we had built and, and where we were going. We had no clue if it was going to be us that captured it, but we knew there was still so much upside in what we were doing and the kind of the, the tailwinds that we what were riding. What was the reason you wanted to sell? Um, the reason that you wanted to – the reason that you considered uh, mm-hmm. on the other side of the T-chart is, um, is in, in some senses, it was a form of validation and accomplishment, which was like, wow – this like we started in a, in a dorm room and and there's a multi hundred million dollar deal mm-hmm. that that could you know transform our investors and mm-hmm. and, and many employees' lives and that's that's on one hand that is a, a reason that you you build a company is is there, there is that moment where where you you are sort of validated in, in that and um, uh, but very quickly we recognized that that what we were what we were onto and what we were building. Um, could Too be big. so much bigger and so much greater, not even just from a financial standpoint, but from a, actually what we wanted to ultimately accomplish. Wait, so who was it that was buying it? Well, I can't share that. But, uh, Why not? Be, yeah, just because you know, there's NDAs and stuff. Right, so, right. But um, there's I rumors online. But, but what I would say is, is that, um, uh, you know, so from that point forward, we, we, we actually went to the four founders. We went to, a, um, uh, uh, we went to Half Moon Bay, mm-hmm. and we stayed up all night, and we whiteboarded everything, and we sort of, like, connected and um, – and we basically, from from that day forward, we've never considered an acquisition again because we just know that and until we are, until we feel like this market is not five or ten or twenty times bigger than we are, um, we just have, have you know so much more to do. Okay, last question. Yes. Uh, as an older person, yes. thirty years old. Yeah, gray hair. Um, what would you hair. do if you could do it, if you were back in the room? What would you do now? As a because you see all these teal fellows, all these young people, very short. Yeah. What short, would you do? short answer or yes, short people? Short answer. No, you uh, can be short if you okay. want. Um so uh well I, I think that the you know, I think when you have um truly infinite computing mm-hmm. available to you on demand, when you have the kinds of underlying technologies, whether it's our phones, um and uh what we can do with sensors now, I think there's a lot of unexplored spaces and for the first time technology is is truly impacting the real world as opposed to the digital world. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whether it's Uber changing all of transportation, whether it's 23andMe, which has the potential to change life sciences, mm-hmm. um, the, the ability for, for technology, the software that you write, to be able to change the actual so physical. So what is it? Well, so, so it wouldn't be a thing. It, so that's the, that's the underlying foundation. And mm-hmm. I would just go look at every industry and every, you know, every area of healthcare, 
life sciences, government. I think government will more quickly be changed by technology than it will be election cycles. And so, like, if we can actually just change all of all of the way that 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 the real world works with tech. Um, that would be what I would focus on. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd probably go into the real world with technology as opposed to the, the you know staying within the digital world. So it wouldn't be a, a photo sharing app or a, a social right. tool or a communication thing. It would be something that that changes um, and and really acts as a lever against you know something in the in the physical space. Gosh, and here I thought you'd say firemen. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I get away far as possible from technology. I think I would. Yeah. Anyway, you Aaron, would? Yes, I would. I what would, would you do if you were? You, I mean, you kind of have. You, you could go do whatever you want now. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. So what are you gonna? What are you thinking about? I'd like a like a tiki stand in Hawaii. Tiki something, stand. In, okay. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe in a few years. Yeah, yeah. Every now and again, I tweet at you, but not very often. Okay. All right, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you so much, Aaron Levy from Box. Is it box.com anymore? Box. Well, you can go to box.com as right. a URL. Then just box. Just call it box, though. Box. We've, and that, I mean, that was the most exciting thing, honestly. One of the most exciting things. To get rid of, of, of .com? Uh, uh, .net and .com. Yeah. But getting the ticker box was one of my life achievements. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, you Pretty. can retire now. I can. Okay, thanks a lot, See Aaron. See you. Well, that was a great interview with Aaron Levy, who is very funny, and I'm looking forward to future tweets from him. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews with Jeff Weiner, Jonah Peretti, and Stuart Butterfield, to name a few, all on recode.net slash decode. One of the best ways to support our show is to help us improve, and all you have to do is tell us a little bit about yourself. Take a short three-minute survey at recode.net slash podcast survey and help us by sharing your opinions on this show and how you listen to podcasts in general. Tell us how you really feel. Well, not too much. The better we know, the better show we can do. We always love hearing from you. Take the survey at recode.net slash podcast survey. Up next is my favorite resident geek, Lauren Good of The Verge, here to explain what some of our listeners weren't too embarrassed to ask. But first, a quick message from one of our sponsors. Today's Too Embarrassed to Ask is brought to you by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. Okay, we're here with Too Embarrassed to Ask with Lauren Good. Lauren, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, Kara. How are good, you doing today? Good, good. Um, so, so we're talking about, what are we talking about this week? Lauren? We're talking about why iMessages fall into a black hole when you switch from iPhone to Android. And this was something that one of our top editors, Ken mm-hmm. Lee, actually brought up because he has done the switch. And it's even the sort of thing where it's caused problems with our work, uh-huh. our workflow. Because Absolutely. when we go to cover big events, like an Apple event we or can't Google find Ken event or whatever, anywhere. and we're on a group messaging thread and everyone's saying, where's Ken? Is Ken on the thread? Because he's all you know, just he's, lazy, don't you think? He's, I think he's, he's using the, the transition from iPhone to Android as a little bit of a crutch but to he not wants respond to, use, to yeah, our that's messages. Right. So, but he wants to be an Android user. Many yes, people he wants do. to. Some he, has a, he has one of the OnePlus phones now that right. he's using, which is an Android phone. But these messages do disappear. They do disappear, and it's a known thing. It's happened for a while. There are some solutions or ways to address it, but it's still really problematic. So let me hear why it's happening, because we, we still don't understand why it's happening. So iMessages are a data thing. Mm-hmm. They're not SMS in the traditional sense of SMS, which right. has been around forever. So sometimes they work when text doesn't and vice versa, for example. Yeah, or sometimes text will work if iMessage isn't working. It does. Like I if you happen to be out text. of a service area, yep. right, it's not working send over. Send text message, yeah. Right. So it's, they're coming from Apple servers rather than, than SMS on your mobile network. Right. And so when you go to switch from iPhone, like you, let's say you take your SIM, your mobile SIM out of an iPhone and you mm-hmm. pop it into an Android phone, um, if you haven't deregistered I, from iMessage properly, it get, the system gets confused. It still thinks that you you want to send messages through Apple's data servers. They go there. They don't get sent. They're just kind of hanging there. They're in like this limbo. Mm-hmm. And then your messages aren't set through as traditional SMS, even though they should be at that point. I see. And so it, it's because they're different systems, essentially. Yes. And also, I mean, group messaging sometimes contributes to some of the problems around iMessage. Right. This isn't necessarily is hugely specific popular, to switching messaging. to Android. Yeah. yeah, but let's say you start a group message and you have one version of an iPhone and some, one of your friends has another version, older version is running an older OS, and then one of your friends has an older Android or something like that, what happens is the messages end up appearing as all these different splits. Like mm-hmm. you look into your iMessage, you know, the pile of them in the app, and you see there's like, you know, you, Lauren and 
Kara and Wall and Eric Johnson over here, like there's one thread and then there's another thread and there's another thread. And it may be because we're all using different phones and different systems and mm-hmm. it can be really frustrating. Should there people. be an iMessage or they just use text? Why, why do they do this? Because it's like BBM. Because you don't have to go. It's like BB, you don't have to go through the carriers. Right. I mean, you're not being charged per text. Right. Per every text sent, uh, which is what some of the mobile carriers are still doing, especially to consumers that are using SMS. So mm-hmm. it was sort of Apple's, you know, really nifty way to create a sticky messaging app and also circumvent the mobile carriers and SMS. But then you sort of get, you know, you get sucked into that whole distortion field. So, so, but you don't get your messages. That's really the issue. That's and the Apple problem. was sued. Switch from iPhone to Android. Yeah. So in May of last year, Apple was actually sued by an individual who claimed that her text message text messages weren't going through to her new Samsung device after she switched from iPhone to, to an Android phone, an Android, Android Samsung phone. Um, the suit was based on unfair competition laws, and it said that Apple hadn't really sufficiently informed her of the potential for interference. Um, the complaints Meaning that she doesn't get her messages. She's, she, yeah, she didn't get her messages, and she wasn't sufficiently warned in advance um, you know, that she was going to be penalized and mm-hmm. unable to obtain the full benefits of wireless service contracts. Um, that was according to the Which complaints. Which is important. Messaging is important. It is important. And I think that it made a statement. I don't know how powerful the suit was, but I think a lot of news outlets picked up on it because everyone knows this is a problem, but it ends up being almost entirely anecdotal. Mm-hmm. Like that we're talking, even what we're talking about right now, one of our right. editors has this problem, right? And so I it's really hard. With it when I'm, I often You've have, had a problem yeah, with it. Many I times. do too. I just switched to a Nexus 5X, which Mm -hmm. is one of the new Nexus phones, because Mm -hmm. I was using it for a little while, testing it out. Um, And sure enough, some of my iMessages just kind of, you know, disappeared. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I kind of had this workaround where I picked the five most important people in my life that I knew I wanted to communicate with over the next few days while I was using the 5X. And I reached out to them and initiated a text message thread with them and said, hey, I just switched to Android. I want to make sure this is going through. If you need to contact me, if you need to. And so, you know, I didn't have any like, really big dire issues during the short time that I was using the 5X but the some of my iMessages popped up on desktop and didn't pop up on my phone and vice versa and right. it was it was a mess it's right. a total mess um so how do you so yeah. how do you so so there the lawsuit they didn't lose correct they did not lose that. Apple won that battle right yeah um in August of this year the US district judge Lucy Coe whose name we've heard plenty of times before mm-hmm. when it comes to Apple cases mm-hmm. um said that um the case couldn't proceed as a group lawsuit because it wasn't clear that all of the people that were proposed as members of the suit suffered the inconvenience that this woman said she was suffering. Yeah. Um, they couldn't prove the contractual breach or the interference. Right. So, but what has Apple done to fix this? Because it's obviously a consumer problem. Not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe because they technically can't, as long as they're sort of maintaining this, this um, system of iMessages. There is now a website that you can go to. It's an Apple-hosted website that makes it really easy for you to deregister your iMessage before you switch to iPhone because okay. that, I mean, excuse me before so you please don't Android. use iMessage essentially um no it's more like okay you've decided to switch to Android before you, you pop your sim out and you pop right. your sim into the new phone mm-hmm. here's how the, here's where you can deregister iMessage and hopefully that will make sure all of your SMSs go through right okay so and then so you can do it on the phone how do you do it Okay, so there are a couple ways you can do this. Like I said, you can do it on the website. You can also do it on the phone. You go into settings and then messages, and then you switch off iMessage using the little slider bar that's there. Um, and then, you know, sure enough, you'll start to see, you'll start to get your SMSs. Mm-hmm. The messages will be green instead of blue. It's kind mm-hmm. of funny how people categorize it I like know. that. Like when you, see, uh, when you get a message from somebody, it's green. And you're like, like what's your initial Android. thought? Ugh, Android. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I judge. You judge, them. I right? judge. Yeah, I judge them. Yeah, it's like we don't mean to, but yeah, you kind of do. Yeah. Uh, or you, you automatically start thinking, this is the person that's going to mess up the group thread. Exactly. Like, for me, yeah, like the next Ken, time somebody announces again, it. Yeah. Ken, you pain in the ass, Ken. <laughs> right. All right, so it'll impact your iMessage on your Mac. If you have a Mac and an Android, what happens? Yes, because you also have to do this on your Mac. You go into uh, Preferences and iCloud on your Mac, and you deregister there. So one of the things I really like about iMessage is the fact that it does pop up on my Mac. And right. so when I recently switched to Nexus 5X, um, and I, you know, was I was getting SMSs through that phone. I did not deregister because I wanted to keep getting messages on my iMac. If you mm-hmm. fully deregister um, on your Mac and on your iPhone from iMessage, it's going to impact your messaging experience on the desktop. So you're not going to get those messages. Uh, I I don't. Most these messages that you are do. like, hi, hi, meet me here, right? That's what I'm. 
That's what you're talking about. I though. think you need to spice up your life a little bit. Really? I do. Your I do okay say? with the messages. No, oh. they say other things. I'm not going to share them with you. <laughs> I'm um, but I'm saying it's but it, but you but it can confuse your desktop and your mobile. Absolutely. Experience. Absolutely. Yeah. So is there any other solutions? Well, there's the the sort of bubblegum solution that I said earlier, which right. is as soon as you switch, you can send, you know, a dozen messages to the people that new matter in your thread. life, a new message. You initiate the thread and you said that with my cat sitter a couple weekends ago and said, you hey, have a cat sitter? I do. Wow. She, when I travel, she comes by and she you know, makes cats sure that cats are fine by cats. themselves, Lauren. Well, I'm a little, I'm a little, you know, over attentive, I Apparently. suppose. And yeah. And I, I mean, care. I have a partner too who helps take care of the cat, but I still have the cat sitter come by. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. I just, but it's so I like, cats you know, when I'm traveling a lot, I'm. Cats could give up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you get an app for that, Lauren? A little the, robotic you know, face. There is a robotic pet feeder, but that's we'll a whole other episode. We'll talk about that Yeah. So, week. anyway, so like. So you can do this. You Send start, it. you know, you said to text message your boss and your right. mom and all the people that and matter your in your life and, and your partner, and you say, here, I'm switching to Android. I want to make sure I have a thread going with you. Okay. So, that's like sort of a janky solution. Okay. Then there's like a really obvious solution, which, which is, is third-party messaging apps. And this is something that if, as we've increasingly used Slack, uh, you know, at The yeah, Verge Slack, and Recode, absolutely. we talk about this a lot. Um, it really does act as a pretty good substitute yeah, for, for iMessage because I do everybody's both. on it. I do both. I do too. Just to make sure. I do too. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's so many. There's Facebook Messenger. There's WhatsApp. There's, I mean, there's too these many. are just the ones that are, that which are one popular do you lose here. Most? I use text messages. I think so. I use uh, now Slack the most, mm-hmm. uh, followed by iMessage, followed by Facebook Messenger. Right. I do use Messenger. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I do switch among and between them. Yeah. And then I, I try to Snapchat you, but you don't respond. So I don't. I saw the one you me. sent me with a rainbow tongue. Yeah. It's really fun. They have for these you. cool filters now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but the one you think is emerging, what do you think for different that uses Slack for business? Snapchat I think for bored seen, people with cats uh, and things like that. Yeah, I don't think you're talking about me there. But yeah. um, but I have seen some really interesting uh, posts written by mm-hmm. individuals who are saying they're using Slack for just their personal things. Like they have oh. a Slack for their relationship or they have a Slack for their family. Mm. And so they're using Slack as like to create these channels and these rooms for topics within their personal lives. And they're using the, the DM function. Um, huh. So I think that's, that's pretty nifty. That I feel like is. there's a story to be done there. All right. We'll get on it. I yeah. Lauren, as usual. Kara. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. You need to get right back to your cat. So. Oh, I'm <laughs> it's sing it's a single cat, okay? It's not mold I'm not it's not cats plural yet. Yet. Okay. But you could take cat lady to a new level. Cat sitter. I didn't even know that. Let's was a talk child. about cats in the next episode. Let's not. Okay. All right, maybe. All right. Thank you, Lauren. Bye. Good. See you next week. And thanks to you for listening. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. We always have a new episode every week, and next week we'll have another excellent guest ready to break down the hottest topics in tech. Join us then for what I'm sure will be an excellent conversation. Thanks a lot for listening. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes. Featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.